To those of you listening to us on the internet and to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be around the world, and to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God upon which we base our message this morning on this fourth Sunday in Lent is the Old Testament reading from Numbers chapter 21. You heard it read before. I recall just these words. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. People looked at the bronze snake after they were bitten and they lived. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lived for us, died for us, lives again, and rules over all things, my beloved. I don't think there's anybody who likes to wait in line. Waiting in line a lot of times makes us impatient and perhaps even irritable, and yet it's a fact of life. You wait in line to get your cream puffs at the state fair. And uh, you wait in line for your favorite ride at the theme park. And you wait in line for the TSA security at the airport and DMV emission inspection and the post office and McDonald's and the car wash and the gate at the Brewers game and Greenfield Avenue, now that the city is all clogged up. But there's my favorite waiting in line of all, and that's the checkout in the grocery store. Sometimes people can get impatient with all that waiting. The children of Israel, or the subject of our message this morning, had been waiting in line for 40 years. And it was all their fault, of course. They had wandered around on there on the Sinai Peninsula because of their rebellion against God. But now, finally at last, they were ready to move in and take the land that God had promised to them. So Moses tells us that 40 years after they left Egypt, they were ready to enter and uh, they were marching toward Canaan. And they marched north from the Red Sea. And then they bumped into a, a small country called Edom. The people that lived there were actually uh, descendants of Esau. That, that was Jacob or Israel's brother. So they were sort of like blood brothers. And they said, can we throw, go through your country? They said, no way. If, in fact, if you come through our country, we're going to send out our warriors and kill some of you. And that meant that the Israelites were going to have to turn around and march a hundred miles to the south, back around so that they could swing up north, around Edom and swing up north towards the Holy Land, a detour. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, we're now going to have to march a hundred miles out of our way. And it was during that time that they began to complain. Why did you make us leave Egypt just to die out here in the desert? There's no bread and water and we can't stand this awful food. No, no food or water out here. That manna, you know, that God, you've been feeding us for 40 years, tasteless, bland. You know what 
the Israelites were saying in reality that they were dissatisfied the way that God had been leading them and they were dissatisfied the way that God had been providing for them. And this time, God had had enough and so he responded in righteous anger and sent the old uh, King James Version says, fiery serpents. I don't know if that represents their color or the burning sensation you got from their bite and I don't know if they were copperheads, rattlesnakes, cottonmouth or cobras but they bit the people and many people died. You see, God doesn't like complaining. In fact, complaining is an expression of lack of trust in God and really, that's idolatry. And I think that we're all guilty of it. Christians too. In fact, I think the three idols that we get up and worship every day in front of their altars are worry, doubt, and dissatisfaction. You've heard me say that before. You worried about anything right now? I'm sure that you are. Worried about your health? Worried about your finances? Worried about your grades in school? Worried about your jobs? Kids worry about their parents? Parents worry about their children? And if you're not worrying, then you worry why you're not worrying. And then, of course, there's doubt. You don't have any doubts? All you have to do is take a look at the Iranians and the nukes that they're planning on building, and you wonder if the whole world is going to go up in smoke, and you doubt, does God really know what he's doing? He's still in the driver's seat. And then there's dissatisfaction. We hate this manna. We've been eating it for 40 years. Complaining, complaining, lack of love and trust. You complain about anything? I think we all complain about food, funds, and our fashions. Or they say weather, Wall Street, and Main Street. You complain about the potholes in the street. You complain about gas prices. You know when they're too low, then you worry that they're going to go up. And when they're nice and high, then you wonder and you complain why they're so high. Why? We, do you notice we even do reverse complaining? We do reverse complaining. Oh, it's such nice weather outside. I'm sure we're going to pay for this. And we do it all because we also take God for granted. God's people did. I mean, he kept them safe for 40 years. He fed them. He gave them gushing water from rocks. Quail three feet deep. And still they took him for granted. Take God for granted today? Oh, you bet we do. On any given day in any church in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, around the United States, you'll only find no more than 50% of the membership worshiping. And Bible classes are usually pretty atrocious. And I wonder if we were to take a poll here at Beautiful Savior this morning, how many of our members would be participating, what percentage, in our appointment with Jesus, just to, you know, spend 20 minutes with him a day? I mean, there are people around the world who are going underground to fight just to hear God's word, and we take it for granted. And all of those sinful practices of worry and doubt and dissatisfaction and taking God for granted deserve punishment. Each of us needs some repenting to do, realizing that we haven't always been as faithful as we should to our gracious God. 
And we pray that he would move us to repentance to change our ways in the future. But truly, if we would analyze our lives, we would have to say we too deserve punishment just like the Israelites of old. But when the Israelites finally recognized their sin and the death which was uh, being inflicted on them by those snakes because of their sin, then they repented. And they looked for a way of escape from those poisonous snakes. And God gave them an escape, an unusual one. He said, Moses, I want you to make a replica, perhaps a real big replica out of brass or bronze. Put it high on a pole. Put it way up there for everybody to see. And I'm telling you that if the people look at it, look up at the snake, they will not die, but they will live. When we come to a realization of our sin and that we deserve punishment, God also wants us to recognize that he has provided for us a way of escape. No, you don't look up to a snake on the top of a pole. Rather, you look up to the cross. When those people looked up to that serpent on the pole, they said, that detestable, ugly thing, it saves us? And so we look to Jesus on the cross. Detestable. Blood all over his face. Blood everywhere, grasping for life. Punished by his father. O sacred head, now wounded with grief and shame, weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine, yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Jesus was lifted up, he told Nicodemus. The Son of Man will have to be lifted up, just like the snake in the desert to draw all people to him. And Jesus was when he was nailed to a cross and he hung there with all the sins of mankind hanging down upon him. And by that punishment and that sacrifice, God covered up all the sins of the world so that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now I would imagine that there were probably different responses to that uh, snake on the pole. Some people looked and lived, and some people said, this doesn't make any sense. That thing hanging there is just as detestable looking as the things that are biting us. Simply doesn't make any sense. It's probably going to make us sick. But the people that thought that way died. To some people, the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's an ugly sight, all covered up with blood, a crown of thorns pushing into his skull. What do you want to have anything to do with a horrible sight like that? The fact still remained for the Israelites. The only way to life was to look up. Even so, we could well imagine that there were some foolish Israelites who said, we're not going to do it that way, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to make a little incision, you know, wherever the wound is, and we're going to suck the blood out. Uh, we're going to make uh, mud plasters, and we're going to make suck the blood out. Or we're going to get the priests and our parents to come in here and pray for us. And i got to tell you that all those made-up ideas, people died. Today, the world is still trying to make up their own ways to get out from beneath the punishment of sin. 
Some are trying the methodology of their own goodnesses. Please God so he won't be angry with them. Try to stay out of trouble. Try to do nice things for other people, thinking and hoping that God won't uh, be so angry with them on Judgment Day. And other people are trying to patch over and cover the results of sin, trying to eliminate it from the human race. Pass a few more laws. This world would be a better place in which to live. Everybody knows you can't legislate morality. Oh, we need more medicine. If we keep on working at it, perhaps we could eliminate death. And history shows that even all, after all of mankind's attempts, of vain attempts, the results of sin are still with us. Pain and suffering and death will never be eliminated. And the fact still remains that each and every person is going to one day have to stand before their maker. And then what? And the only answer still remains, look to the cross. It's the only sign and standard that if we cling to it by faith, we have life, eternal life. I think one of the most important questions that uh, we could discuss with this whole story of the brass servant is, why did a bronze servant save people from death? We could raise up all sorts of brass serpents around the world, and i got to tell you, it's not going to save people who are bitten by terrible venom. They'll die. But out in the wilderness, at God's commands, at that time, it did. Why? Because God said so. Because he attached his word to it. It's as simple as that. Some people might ask us today, why in the world do you Christians put your trust and your hope for eternal life on a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago? How do you know that that saves you? And the only answer is, because God said so. I think some of you remember when you had uh, arguments as little kids with the neighbor kids. I know I did that. Oh, well, it's this way. No, it's that way. There's three feet in the yard. No, 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 there's four feet in the well, how do you know? Because my daddy said so. Well, that was the end of the argument. If anyone ever asks you how you can trust in a crucified Christ for eternal life, the best answer that you can give them is because my father said so. My heavenly father said so on just about every one of the pages of the love letter in the Bible that he gave to us. Now, I think it's kind of interesting to note when you take a look at the uh, servant, serpent there in the wilderness that there's one thing that the brass serpent did not do. Nowhere in this account from Moses does it tell us that if the people looked at the brass snake that those poisonous snakes would stop biting them and go away. In fact, the children of Israel may have been bitten for many days. And every day, again and again and again, they would have to look up to the snake on the pole to live. And so we continue to live in a world where sin comes crawling into our lives every day and we're all infected by it outside and in. And this infection will not go away until the end of time. So what directive does that leave for us? Because of sin, 
Each day, we must look to the cross of Christ for salvation. Because you see, we're all waiting in line, waiting to get to heaven. And sometimes the waiting and the homesickness for that place that you've never been can become very intense. Sometimes the waiting seems so long. And sometimes we get so weary of waiting and we complain and we want to take matters into our own hands and we forget about our God. And it's at those times, time and time again, we need to look to the cross of Christ. And when we do so, we can be assured that our gravestone somewhere in some cemetery will be nothing more than the threshold to eternal life and perhaps a real great epitaph for all of our gravestones might be something like this. The person who lies here looked at the cross of Christ and lives. God granted for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We take this time now to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards. <laughs>